Good morning, Chair. Um, Honorable Whip, I'm just waiting to um, have an indication if uh, we have a quorum. Uh, Babawa, how far are we now with a quorum? Good morning, Honorable Whitfield, Honorable Marequa. I'm, look, I'm waiting for a quorum. Morning, Honorable Peacock. Honorable Meshu has asked to leave early. Um, Honorable Grunewald uh, has apologized. Meshu has asked to leave early. Uh, and then Honorable Patrain has apologized. Molekwa is doing public hearings. And uh, Patrain has apologized. She's on maternity leave. It's public hearing, so the minister and the deputy minister do not attend. It's a it's a um it's an oversight. So when you do an oversight visit, it's parliament who does the work. Recording in progress. I just need uh, uh, Babawa to let me know. She's indicated that we do have a quorum. Honorable members will do the um We'll do the, uh, the minutes of the previous meeting. That we'll do after this meeting. Today we have inputs from the public. Uh, we have uh, written submissions. And those written submissions have been sent to you. You can then indicate to us uh, if you have received those um, written submissions. If not, then uh, kindly please indicate to us if you have received those submissions or not. Before I start the meeting, have you all received these submissions? Uh, you don't need to say yes. You can just kindly indicate if you did not receive the submissions. All members, have you received the submissions? Yes, Chair. Uh, thank you, Honorable Peacock. Uh, honorable members, if I move on, uh, it's an indication that you have received the submissions. Uh, honorable members, because it is public hearings, uh, including the public, I'll appreciate that before you um, you start, that um, that we first switch on our videos so that the public can see who we are. Uh, we all have network problems, load shedding. And I do know that we have challenges. So please, uh, before you speak, could you just uh, uh, introduce yourselves and not assume that those who are joining us today, it's a public meeting and we'll have inputs from the public. Honorable Whitfield, you like to have something to say? No, Chair, just putting my video on. Uh, thank you very much, Honorable Whitfield. It's always good to see you. Uh, I think you need a haircut soon. Andrew, I'm always going to uh, uh, tease you. Honorable Whitfield, thank you very much. You've read the submissions. Honorable members, uh, I'm going to then, just as an introduction, we all know that the Criminal Law Forensic Procedures Amendment Bill of 2021 was introduced in Parliament and referred to the Portfolio Committee on Police for Processing on the 20th of December 2021. The DNA Amendment Bill aims to address a lacuna by removing the time limit on the taking of buccal samples 
from already imprisoned Schedule 8 offenders. The Portfolio Committee received an introductory briefing on the DNA Amendment Bill from the Civilian Secretariat for Police on the 16th of February 2022. The closing date for submissions was on Friday, the 11th of March 2022, after which eight submissions were received, of which five were substantial. It is worth noting that during the 2013 process, the committee received 45 written submissions and that the entire set of submissions were in support of the bill. The nature of the 2021 amendment bill is technical and we do not expect any sub, uh, many more submissions. So we're satisfied that those submissions that we have received and those which are, will be presented today would be sufficient. It should also further be noted that most of the submissions raise serious concerns about the capacity of the SAPs to process the DNA samples. The concern is shared with the committee, and we have had several meetings on this matter and other matters related to the uh, challenges and um, the serious concerns about capacity in SAPs. The committee has consistently been uh, raising this matter. We are committed to address the challenges we face in SAPs, uh, and ensure that the Forensic Science Laboratory Division implements the turnaround st strategy and improve its effectiveness. Honorable members, you know that we have been uh, persistent and consistent in our monitoring of the Forensic Science Laboratories. We are not yet at the stage where we can say that we are happy with the situation at the Forensic Science Laboratories. As a matter of introduction, I would like us uh, and the public to know that the concerns we have with the Forensic Science Laboratories, it's just so enormous. And what has been happening there has not met the expectations of the committee. And when you do your input, we'll, we, we appreciate the fact that you would have similar concerns. I'm not preempting what you're going to say. But good morning and my gratitude and appreciation to those members of the public who will be joining us today. We appreciate your inputs and we do realize that you've spent considerable time in making those inputs and uh, that those inputs, the ones I've read, are certainly of um, an absolute uh, um, necessity and the committee appreciates it. I'm going to hand over to the content advisor uh, Ms. Nicolette Hanselgoos. Uh, she is not going to be very long. And then I will take um, Ms. Vanessa Lynch and then Rape Crisis, uh, Cape Town Trust, and then COSATU, and then we'll have engagements. Uh, members will have discussions. And uh, just to indicate to you that because I have so many apologies, I'm not going to squeeze the meeting but I'll take the minutes at the end of the meeting to ensure that we have more time for the public. Uh, Nicolette, if you could do a very, very brief introduction for me, and then I'll take Ms. Vanessa Lynch. Nicolette? Uh, Nicolette, are you there?
Hi, good morning, three person. Sorry about that. Uh, Nicolette? Three, good morning, Honorable Three, Honorable Members. Uh, am I audible? Yes, you are. And you can see the presentation? Yes. Thanks, Nicolette. Um, honorable Members, like, as the chairperson indicated, from the technical nature of the member bill, we from the start did not uh, expect to have many submissions. The committee received eight submissions, which were from Ms. Laura Heathfield. She indicated her support to the bill. Ms. Diana Thompson, she raised issues regarding the keeping of DNA samples, which is not in the scope of the amendment bill, and so it wasn't really. Um, will not be discussed. We received from Legal Aid South Africa, who is in favor of the bill, Ms. Vanessa Lynch, who will also present later. She is also in favor of the bill. The African Criminal Justice Reform Initiative, as well as Road Prices South Africa, the Kitten Trust, they both are not in favor of the bill, based on the very serious concerns about the capacity to actually do the DNA analysis. And as such, they recommended that the bill be kept in abeyance until these issues are actually addressed by, by the SAPs. The entry person, we got a submission from Kusatu and also the Judicial Inspectorate for Correctional Services. So, Chair, I already went through those. Chair, I'm just going to briefly highlight those submissions that were substantial, but that the presenters could not join us today. So, firstly, Legal Aid South Africa, they support the bill, and especially they welcome the fact that it is only for Schedule Eight offenders and not for the entire um entire, um, what you want to say, um, crimes committed, because I feel that that would have been a very serious infringement on the right to privacy um, and human dignity. Three, they then ask that we should consider indicating or including in the bill that the ordi ultim partum rule be applied when a warrant is issued to give um, those offenders that refuses to give a buckle sample to be actually heard during a as part of a hearing. Now, Legal Aid South Africa presented, I think it was for um, case law in which and the judge actually ordered that the SAPs may take blood samples and also remove bullets for evidence from from a suspect. She, um, Legal Aid also then raised significant challenges with the logistic um, capacity at the SAPs, and then also that it will be a very great administrative and analytical burden on the SAPs. They indicated that in the UK experience, we found that widening the net does not contribute to more crimes being solved. 
And it's in the way that DNA samples are used as an investigative tool and lead that actually produces the success. And in conclusion, they stated that if there was a choice between increasing the collection of samples and increasing the funding for expert crime analysis, that the latter should be given preference. She moving to the submission by the African criminal justice reform. As noted, they do not support the bill and only based on the serious capacity constraints in the um, SAPs. They indicated that um, samples taken from a person without their consent is um, prima facie an infringement of bodily integrity and that it might const construed to be a fishing expedition. They indicated that vehicle samples are quite invasive um, and they were wanting clarity on the costing of the bill and whether the 7887, sorry, um, 78 million costing for the bill would take into account the administrative burden that is placed on the Department of Correctional Services. They further indicated that the cost of the bill is actually equal to 35% of the re rehabilitation of um, convicted offenders. And that if samples cannot be processed, money is better spent on the rehabilitation or other pressing priorities. As such, they recommend that the bill is held in abeyance until the committee has been satisfied the SAPS as the capacity to implement the bill. Chairperson, in conclusion, the police and the civilian secretariat will have an opportunity to respond to these submissions on Friday, the 18th of March. They should give specific attention to the costing of the amendment bill and the capacity of the SAPS to implement them amendment bill and also the full uh, act as per the 2022 proclamation bringing sec section 36 into operation. Honorable tree deliberations will start and is expected to end at the end of March and thereafter the committee will um, send the bill to the NCOP for concurrence. Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you very much, Ms. Van Selgels. Uh, honorable members, that is fairly straightforward. Uh, do you have any comments or could I proceed? May I proceed? Do I have any comments, members? I don't see any hands. Yeah. Oh, honorable Whitfield. Honorable Whitfield. Thank you very much, Jefferson. Just very briefly, uh, and thank you to Nicolette. Um, can we get confirmation as to whether there's a representative from the uh, from the DNA board, Chair? I mean, you would imagine that this would be such a meeting that they would have an interest in. Is, is there any confirmation or any intention or apologies or anything of that nature? Thank you. 
Um, Nicolette and Babawa. Nicolette. Um, thank you, Chairperson. I did uh, speak with the Chairperson of the um, DNA Board on Friday, but she indicated that they are a bit pressed with time and that they could not um, attend the meeting and also could not make a submission um, because I was um, concerned about the fact that we did not receive anything from them. Um, she, but she indicated that they are um, in agreement with the bill. But, but yeah, she has a court appearance today and thus she could not make it. Honorable Whitfield, we did in, uh, interact with the um, with the uh, committee and the board, the DNA board, and um, I think we will all express that uh, concern in writing uh, because I felt that they could have sent a representative if the chair could not do so. Um, I'll take that up with the board. Any further comments? If not, honorable members, uh, uh, Nicolette, you, you or Babawa have the presentation of Ms. Vanessa Lynch. Is that the correct pronunciation of your name? Madame, uh, have you sent, has she sent the presentation? Nicolette? Um, Chipperson, um, this time around, uh, some of the presenters, I know Kusato has a presentation, and I think Ms. Lynch also indicated that she does have a presentation, but because it was written submissions, we felt that <clears throat> maybe a presentation would not be necessary, but um, I think if they prepare something, it, it will be of value to share. Um, could we introduce Ms. Lynch and then could you indicate if you have a presentation, we could give you hosting rights so that you could flight your presentation? Thank um, you so much. Yes. Hi. Hi. Good to see you. Would you like to speak to your presentation or do you have a presentation you'd like to flight? I have got a PowerPoint and I would like to speak to it. Um, Babalwa did give me sharing rights. So I'm just going to try and share my screen now and hopefully it will come through. Um, thank you. Welcome to the committee. Thank and you thank very, you very much, much for, for your presentation. Can you see that? Um, I can see your face, but I don't see your presentation. Um, anybody? Ask, uh, uh, do you see the presentation? Or am I challenged? Members? I don't see the presentation. I only see a face. Honorable Moss, you and I, I we need to go to school, eh? Um, Chairperson, um, sorry, if um, Vanessa, if you can maybe just um, go to the next slide because currently I see a black screen. Okay, just hang Thank on a minute. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to take it out of, um, sorry, just wait one second. I'm sorry about this. Technically challenging. Um, I'm going to try this. Um, otherwise, I might have to 
just email it to, to Nicolette quickly. And uh, I would prefer to... Miss, you started sharing... Uh, could you do your next slide? Maybe we can um, shift to your next slide. Maybe it will appear. I did do that. Is that not oh, is that no, not no. Uh, Ms. Lynch, sorry for this. Uh, could you email the presentation to Nicolette? Uh, but could you speak to it in the meantime? Yes, I will do so. Please. Let me just share so this. Please. Share it with Nicolette and then uh, you speak to it in the meantime, please. Eh? Thank you. I'll just do that. If you just give me one, one before I... I just want to quickly do it. I can't um, stop the share. Hang on a second. Unless somebody wants to just in the meantime pre present, or would you like me to do it first? Let me let me start. Um, yeah. Sorry, give me a moment. Um, let's, um, sorry. Um, if I may. Yeah. Uh, yes, Nicolette. Chair, to give um, um, Ms. Lynch a um, opportunity to just sort out the, or email me, um, maybe we can go on to Matthew or um, Ms. Bodenstein. Um, I just sent it to you, Nicolette. All right. Could we, could we get just quickly an indication if Kosatu uh, uh, is ready? Mr. Sparks, is uh, Kosatu ready? Um, hi, good morning, Chair. Yes, I can be ready in two seconds. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, I'm sorry seconds. for this. I'm so sorry, sorry for this. No, 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 Ms. Lynch, please uh, relax. We'll get it sorted out. Um, do you want me to, to start, Chair? Yes. I can start in, in a second. Can you, you can flight your presentation. Okay, just uh, just give me one second. Uh, apologies, it's a little bit ambushed around the time. Um, I know, I know. Sorry. Uh, hi, Chair. This is Sean Bodenstein from Rape Crisis. Um, yes. Jean? Colleagues, can you hear me? Yes, yeah, I can hear you. Um, now, I'm in between two persons now. I have Matthew. Can you start, please? Okay, um, sure. Let me let me just start here. Just give me one second to upload my uh, document quickly. Um, apologies for that small uh, delay. Um, okay. Okay, I think we're good to go, Chair. Apologies for that. Um, Thank you. No, uh, my apologies. My apologies for, um, for doing this to you. I know that I just uh, jumped a number of speakers. So if it's com you're comfortable with this, thank you very much. You yeah. may start, Mr. Cool. No, no, thanks very much, uh, Honorable Chair, and good morning to members. Um, yes, no, thanks for giving us as Kostar to a chance to, to raise our views 
um, on the bill. Um, and yeah, my name is Matthew Parks from COSATU. And, you know, of course, COSATU, we have a vested interest on issues of criminal law. Um, we have one of our affiliates is POP Group, which organizes amongst police officers, prison wardens, etc. In fact, is the majority union in those sectors. Uh, but of course, you know, COSATU represents um, workers across all spheres of the economy, from farm workers to clothing workers to nurses to teachers. And of course, like any other citizens, they are often the victims of uh, horrendous and violent crimes from rape to murder. So we have an interest in a well-capacitated police service. Um, so Chair, I think uh, from the starting point, um, as COSATU, we want to say we welcome this bill. Uh, we support its passage by parliament. Uh, we think it's long overdue. And uh, especially given South Africa's history um, in terms of crime, especially violent crime, crime against women and children. Um, and I think also in the context of a, a severe forensic capacity challenge facing SAPS, um, we really think this bill is going to be a critical tool in helping to build SAPS's forensic capacities, which will be critical to fighting crime, um, both cold cases, current cases, and hopefully preventing future crimes as well. So, Chair, I think whilst we support this bill, we think there is a need for two relatively straightforward but critical amendments. Uh, we think this will help to strengthen provisions, um, dealing with when and, and from whom uh, buccal samples shall be taken. Um, so, Chair, I think for us, if we want to really achieve the maximum progressive effect of this bill, um, then we need to look at when and, and from whom we take these samples. And we think there's a need to amend it, specifically around Schedule 8 offences. Um, so, Chair, in terms of the objectives of the bill, um, we support the objectives fully. Uh, it's a progressive bill. Um, it's going to strengthen the state's capacity to investigate crimes and, of course, to apprehend those who are really, really responsible. And I think members would know far better than I would. But, uh, and of course, colleagues from SAPS who are here today and the Secretariat, um, that our existing forensic capacity is severely limited. And Sure, part of this is because of budgeting and other issues. Um, but I think also a significant part is around the database itself is woefully insufficient. We have too little, too little data available um, in addition to the issues of the budgetary constraints. So Chair, this obviously has a huge impact on the ability of SAPS members to determine who is responsible for, for a crime and to also apprehend uh, many criminals. Um, I think we know how many cases are just simply unsolved. And yet, we had this capacity, we could have resolved many of them. Um, I think again, Chair, that you know, criminals don't commit one crime, but they are repeat offenders. And again, if we had this capacity, it could help us to prevent significant amounts of future criminal activities. So Chair, our concerns around the bill, around who we collect the buccal samples from, is we're concerned that it, it limits it to persons, um, when the bill of persons who are convicted in prison for Schedule 8 offences, and in the recent um, <clears throat> amendment that came into effect from January, uh, to persons who are charged for Schedule 8 offences. Um, so we think this is a bit of a separation of the collecting of samples, uh, buccal samples from other forensic and intelligence gatherings. Uh, that SAPs would always collect from persons who are charged or convicted or sentenced for serious offences. For example, fingerprints. Um, when we collect fingerprints, we do it for everybody. We don't just do it for Schedule 8 offenses. Um, Chair, and these are critical things. So, so when, when you, SAPS uh, charges you 
They take your fingerprints, they take photographs, they record your identity information. They also record any physical identifying marks, uh, whether they are scars or tattoos, your race or gender, any other physical descriptions. Um, and, and these are you know, critical to ensure that we build the sepsis forensic and intelligence database. Um, but they also done chair, I think, to help prevent future crime and also to make sure that we know exactly who's been arrested and we're able to build a solid case to them. Um, and of course, Chair, there is a well-established evidence that criminals are in most cases repeat offenders and we have not been able to identify them for previous cases. Um, so Chair, we were a bit surprised when this buccal samples are limited to Schedule 8 uh, because we don't have a distinction made for other scheduled offenses when we record other uh, data, fingerprints, for example. Um, so I think for us, that is the, the one thing. And we understand the argument might be that, well, Schedule 8 is for serious violent crimes, and those are the persons really want to gather DNA samples from, etc. <clears throat> but again, there's a very strong, uh, well-known link between petty crimes, persons escalating from Schedule 1, 2, 3, 4, up to Schedule 8, etc. Um, criminals do not limit themselves to one particular type of criminal activity. To also, I think we want to appreciate that uh, many serious criminal offences, Schedule 8, for example, are very difficult to gather sufficient evidence, uh, but the evidence could easily have been gathered for less serious crimes against the very same accused persons. Um, I think Chair, we would all know the case of uh, Al Capone in the US in the 1930s, um, a notorious gang leader responsible for many murders, many serious criminal activities, but that wasn't what caught up with him. The government got him on the basis of tax evasion. And I think we've had similar instances here as well. We managed to get people through lesser crimes, but nonetheless, the objective has been achieved to remove that person from society, put them in prison, etc. Um, so I think, Chair, for us, the gathering of such forensic information shouldn't be linked to a person's criminal conviction. It should be done upon arrest and being charged. And so we welcome that uh, having come into effect in January this year. I think that's a positive start by SAPS. And we think this is also just going to help SAPS to ascertain um, the accused person's uh, innocence or guilt and if they're linked to other crimes. So I think the Amendment Act that came into effect in January does help us on that basis. But again, Chair, we're, we're concerned that it's limited to Schedule 8 offences. Um, Chair, there are some serious criminal offences which are excluded by limiting collecting buccal samples to persons charged for convicted of or imprisoned for Schedule 8 offences. So if we understand this thing correctly, and we hope we understand it incorrectly, but from what we read in the bill and the various scheduled offences, um, there's many crimes which won't be included <clears throat> uh, for persons who, who are under suspicion or convicted for schedules one to seven. <clears throat> so, Chair, if we look, and we hope, you know, we are wrong in what we've read, but if we look at the offences, which, which, some of the offences which would be excluded by limiting it only to schedule eight, um, under schedule one, we have crimes of bestiality. Um, common assault and theft, sure, of a lesser nature. But Chair, I think we'd all agree that a person who has been charged or convicted for bestiality, there's something seriously wrong with that person. Okay. Um, sorry, Chair? Okay. So I think, Chair, so... Matthew, I'm just changing my, my Wi-Fi. Um, oh. So if I'm not here, uh, continue. I just need to get a better network. Continue, please, Matthew. 
Okay, no, thanks, thanks, Chair. So, 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 Chair, yeah. So, just to give an example, so under Schedule One, which would be excluded from this uh, act in the bill, bestiality would be excluded. And I think we'd all agree that a person who commits bestiality is not a healthy person in any sense, and is very likely to commit other crimes. Um, under Schedule Two, again, you know, robbery, theft, fraud, uh, some elements of assault will continue es escalating based upon the, the severity of the case, uh, grievous bodily harm, arson, etc. But again, Chair, you have under Schedule 2, if you read it correctly, cases of incest. And again, a person who commits incest, there's something seriously wrong there as well. Chair, under Schedule 3, and again, you have, you know, continuation of assault and robbery and theft and fraud. But again, you know, serious crimes include drug dealing. Um, I think we would all know that we have a huge problem of, of drug dealing in, in South Africa, especially in you know, cities in Cape Town and other cities. Again, we have under Schedule 3, the indecent assault of persons under the age of 16 years of age. Um, under Schedule 4, Chair, we have, again, your assault and theft and so forth, but we also have other serious crimes of sexual exploitation and grooming, uh, child pornography, and trafficking for sexual purposes. So again, if we read it correctly, these would be excluded by limiting it to Schedule 8. Um, under Schedules 5 and 6, we have attempted murder. And again, assault, theft, GBH. Chair, we can't understand why we would, would we exclude attempted murder from collecting buccal samples. Uh, the objective of the attempted murder is the same as a person convicted of murder, just that they were not competent enough to, to succeed. And chances are, if you could commit attempted murder, you're very likely to escalate to other crimes, <clears throat> including murder. Then, of course, Schedule 8, we've got GPH, assault, theft, and so forth. So I think, Chair, for us, we just wanted to list some of those examples. And we're happy for reading it incorrectly. Um, but us, if you limit us collecting buccal samples to Schedule 8 offenses, these are the type of offenses we're going to be excluding. And for us, those are very worrying ones. And I don't think the criminals who simply say, well, I'm going to limit myself to Schedules 1 to 3, I won't progress to Schedule 8. Um, so, Chair, I think in terms of our proposal, I mean, again, we want to state the objectives of the bill are correct, they're progressive, uh, they have the potential to capacitate the police, to reduce crime, to protect the rights of innocent and ordinary citizens, especially women and children and vulnerable persons. Um, Chair, we think that if we, if we have a fully functional, not a limited, but a fully functional forensic database, it will help prevent the conviction of innocent persons um, who are often convicted upon circumstantial evidence, you know, eyewitness accounts, which might not always be accurate. I think we've seen in places like the United States, where many uh, people were wrongly convicted based upon circumstantial evidence, but years later they're found to be innocent because of the evolution of uh, a forensic and especially DNA evidence. So again, we have a, a well-populated DNA database. We can prevent innocent persons going to jail incorrectly. Um, so, Chair, our proposal basically is simple. Um, I think one is for the bill to be expanded on two fronts, um, and simply on both fronts to remove reference to Schedule 8. So one is to remove the reference to Schedule 8 in the Minute Act, which came into effect in January, where persons, when they're charged, all persons, when they're charged, buccal samples should be collected, irrespective of what schedule. So just simply to remove the reference to Schedule 8. Um, then for the bill itself, also to remove the reference to Schedule 8, um, with regards to the collecting of buccal samples from persons who have been convicted and imprisoned. So basically, all persons who have been convicted and imprisoned, irrespective of the crime, 
um, we should be collecting the buccal samples. It might be difficult for persons who are no longer in prison to do so, but at least we can start with the 200,000 inmates we have currently um, and collect their buccal samples. So, Chair, I think just in conclusion, um, we want to say as Kosato that we welcome this bill. Uh, we're looking forward to its speedy passage by Parliament. Uh, we think really it's going to play a key role in empowering the state and the police to tackle countless unsolved crimes and, again, to protect uh, victims, future victims, protect the rights of ordinary citizens. Uh, we think it is in line with the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Um, you might find some libertarian people will say, yes, it's an infringement upon your privacy. But I think, Chair, <clears throat> uh, if you live in a society where there are laws, all rights have limitations. We have to balance the rights of individuals with that of the majority of society. And if you commit crimes or you get yourself into a situation where the police are forced to arrest you, it means you have accepted the consequences of your actions. And breaking a law comes with consequences. But again, it's going to help also protect innocent people from wrong convictions. So we think it provides a fair balance for the rights of all of society. And it's actually going to help save society a lot of money if we can prevent future crimes taking place, make the police more efficient. So we do feel, Chair, just getting to the end, that the bill does need to be strengthened. Uh, we think it's irrational to limit the collecting of buccal samples only to persons who have been charged, convicted, or imprisoned for state-related offenses. Um, buccal samples must be treated like all other forensic and intelligence gathering, which we do for all criminal offenses, from Schedule 1 to Schedule 8, fingerprints, photos, etc. This is basically the same principles. It's an additional weapon in the fight against crime. And it should be treated as the same. It shouldn't be treated as a, as a, a sanction or punishment. Um, so, yes, I mean, I think for us, Chair, really is a, it's critical that we give every tool two steps um, in the fight against crime. And this will be really a critical one. Uh, we should not be taking a, <clears throat> a modest approach. We should be giving every possible support we can give to the police. We should not be limiting or tying their hands behind the back. And we feel that if we just limit this to Schedule 8, that's in effect what we'll be doing. So, Chair, we hope that um, our submission um, will assist the committee and that our proposals, of, in essence, um, removing Schedule 8's reference on both uh, uh, instances, be it for when you are charged or when you're in prison and convicted, that, that we just simply remove Schedule 8. And that, I think, will make it much easier and simple across the board. Uh, I think it will make it easier for also for police officers, correctional service officers as well, that they will know we just collect everybody's data. And as, as opposed to start having to, to go through the criminal records, what schedule is it, et cetera, et cetera. So that's our presentation in a nutshell, Chair. Um, yeah, and thanks very much for, for giving us space, uh, Honorable Chair. Uh, thanks, members. Thank you very much for that very well thought through and thorough presentation. We appreciate this. Um, I have learned quite a bit when I uh, read through your presentation. Thank you uh, the, for the research you did. And uh, the, the committee is certainly more enriched after we have listened to that presentation. Honorable members of the committee, may I ask that you take down your notes as we do the presentations. I'll complete the three presentations and then we'll, uh, we'll debate those presentations. So I'm kindly requesting that you keep your notes and you keep your questions. And then after the three presentations, I'll do the rounds of questions. Uh, Ms. Lynch, are you ready for us? Hello, thank you so much. I am. 
<laughs> Wonderful. Sorry for that. I'm sorry. We should have facilitated it better. I apologize. No. My apologies. I, I, I also should have sent it earlier. Um, I only uh, realized I could do a PowerPoint presentation um, more recently. But but thank thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, and um, just a little bit about myself. As you know, I've been involved in um, the drafting of the DNA bill at the time of its promulgation. I've been um, researching it for my doctorate in law over the last four years. The constitutional validity of the, the DNA Act, which this bill refers to, um, as well as certain provisions, as well as a comparative um, uh, search around the world as to, to what they're doing in terms of their DNA legislation. So I, I really welcome this opportunity to be able to comment in respect of this particular bill. I also served on the DNA, I'm sorry, Nicolette, I haven't gone to this yet. I, I also served as the um, deputy chair of the DNA Oversight Board. Um, which was actually responsible for highlighting the importance of this bill being brought before this committee. So um, I, 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 I also welcome any opportunity, should you need any further comments in respect of any other presentations um, with regards to any aspect of this particular bill. So um, next slide, please. The, the history of the bill um, is very important because it, it, it speaks to the intention of the legislature with regard to this. The transitional arrangements, as you know, aimed to sample the entire convicted population of convicted offenders within two years um, from the commencement of the DNA Act. Not only was this considered to be the most important population on the National Forensic DNA Database at the time, um, but it was also allowed retrospectively, which, as you understand, is a very unusual um, aspect because it meant that anybody who had been convicted prior to the promulgation of the DNA Act could in fact still be sampled, albeit this, the DNA Act wasn't in place at the time. The other important aspect to understand is that this population could have the, were able to have the um, forensic DNA profiles held indefinitely on the National Forensic um, DNA Database. This speaks to um, when we talk about the limitation of rights with certain um, populations, arrestees versus convicted offenders, that actually this population on the convicted, I mean, on the national DNA database was understandably the, the first population that was considered. Um, and ironically, we're now talking about a population that's not on not being sampled, yet has the least rights. So, so we can take currently a, a DNA sample from a survivor. Of, of rape and from a witness, but we cannot take from a convicted offender. So we just need to put into perspective what we're talking about here. The, the most important um, aspect too is that when we did a comparative research, well, when, when the parliamentary research unit, as well as the portfolio committee that deliberated on the DNA did a comparative um, uh, study on all jurisdictions, the very first index that is allowed on a national DNA database is always the convicted offender index. Um, the reason being, as I said, the limitation of the rights in respect of this particular population is, in fact, they have the least rights, if we can call it that. Um, and also, it's a very important 
um, population because not only can you link them to cold cases for crimes that they may have already committed, but because of the possibility of reoffending, you then have that person's um, DNA on, on the DNA database that you can immediately link them back to. And recent studies also talk to the deterrent effect of having a DNA database, I mean, a, a DNA profile on a database. So th- these are just some of the, the, the reasons that under, underscore why this population is so important. Um, I also think we need to talk about the constitutional validity. I, I saw in Ms. Van Selko's, her presentation that this had been raised. The constitutional validity of the DNA Act in its entirety was deliberated at length by the previous portfolio committee. And it was, it was, was ratified by not only the South African Human Rights Commission, the Portfolio Committee, the NCOP, as well as other um, bodies which, which had a human rights interest. And there's no aspect of it that has been that has been raised as constitutionally invalid up to date. I, I don't think this is the platform to talk about the constitutional validity of this amendment bill, seeing as though it speaks to the DNA Act, which has been ratified, and only the constitutional court will be able to talk to the constitutional validity of the DNA Act at this point. Next slide, please. Oh. The reason that the intention of the legislature becomes important is that I think it was an oversight not to put an extension period because at the time, the Department of Correctional Services submitted to the Portfolio Committee, and it's recorded in the Parliamentary Monitoring Group's recordings of these deliberations, that actually they were going to sample this population between 12 and 18 months. The reason being it was such an important population to have on the National DNA database that the two-year period was given to say that it must be done within two years because it's so important. And that's the only reason the two years ever existed. In hindsight, it probably should never have been put into the DNA DNA Act because nobody thought that, in fact, it would take more than two years to to sample this very important um, population and include them on the National DNA database. Unfortunately, what happened is that when that two-year period expired, without a provision for the extension of that, and due to the fact that there were numerous reasons why the entire population wasn't um, entered onto the database at that time, the strict interpretation of that particular section was that it couldn't continue. But the intention of the legislature, which we always have to look at, was it was to expedite the sampling of the convicted offenders and not to limit the sampling of the convicted offenders at the time. Next slide, please. The Department of Correctional Services, in fact, presented that they were going to do an aggressive approach to the entire population and that it could be processed within two years. And together with SACS, they assured the portfolio committee it could be done within 12 to 18 months. This is documented and recorded in the monitoring group recordings. Next, Next slide, please. When it came to the um, uh, attention of the DNA Oversight Board that this two-year extension period had expired and the Department of Correctional Services, who were part of the DNA Board, represented that, in fact, they were not able to continue because of the strict interpretation of this particular section, the DNA Board immediately went um, into action and, together with the Civilian Secretariat of Police Services, drafted an amendment bill, um, the first amendment bill, which this is a version of it which we have before us today, in order to urgently continue 
to sample this particular population. Unfortunately, since that time, which I think there's a, been a four-year delay for various reasons, which we, we don't need to go into, into today, there have been over 100,000 convicted offenders who have been released without having been sampled. And that's a lost opportunity that we, that we cannot get back. And there is no question that some of those convicted offenders have gone back to, 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 um, to crimes. Next slide, please. Just to go back to some of the reports, and, and, I, and, I, and I have to say that having been the deputy chair of the previous oversight board, I am deeply disappointed that they are not here today, considering that it was in fact the DNA board that had brought this very bill before, before the portfolio committee. Um, that they, they, they should be represented here today, and it 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 is a and I and I'm 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 very glad to hear that that action will be taken, because if they cannot even be representing themselves here, I don't know how they represent themselves to the public. Be that as it may, the DNA board emphasised in the report at that time that the convicted offender index of the NFDD is a vital component of the database as it provides potential links to cold cases and other crimes. And if it is not populated, it loses, the DNA database loses its, its efficacy as a criminal intelligence tool. And, and this point really cannot be overemphasized. Next slide, please. The refusal section, I know in having listened to the committee in, in the, the previous sessions um, did raise some concerns. And, and interestingly enough, at the time of the deliberation of the DNA Act, refusals had also been um, brought to bear and they hadn't included it in that draft of the DNA Act um, because there was a section of the SAPS Act, which will be in the next slide, but the, the, don't move to that slide yet. But um, because we have that in any event in the SAPS Act where a, a minimum amount of force can be used in respect of any provision of the Criminal Procedure Act. However, it actually became clear once the DNA Act had been promulgated that some prisoners were in fact refusing to have their DNA sample taken. Um, many different um, versions of how this can be counteracted were discussed by the DNA board as, as well as um, by members of the board and the civilian secretariat of police as well as with SAPS. Um, and it was deemed appropriate ultimately that the um, provision that counteracts refusals is included. Um, it is an important mechanism because it becomes problematic um, as to what to do with regards to um, uh, prisoners who refuse. And the reason they probably are refusing is because they understand very well that what would happen if they were sampled and linked to a cold case, that it would increase their sentence in the event that they were convicted. In fact, a study was done in Canada, which is very interesting ar around refusals, is that they said anybody at that time, they weren't able to con um, sample convicted offenders before their law changed. Changed, and they said that you will get early parole if you came forward and gave your DNA sample. And the majority refused, and that was based on the fact that they would probably be linked to other cold cases. So, so there is a there is a reason why refusals are also not just allowed, need to be um, should be counteracted, but because there's a very good reason why if somebody is refusing, you should in fact be able to take their sample. The use of minimum force. Um, albeit might be concerning in this particular draft, is in fact already in Section 13.3b of the Sex Act, um, uh, 68 of 1995. And next slide, please. 
And you can see very clearly here that, and I'll just go to the highlighted section, we remember, and that's of SAPS, who performs an official duty. In this case, it would be sampling a convicted offender because SAPS actually um, are the body that samples and not TCS. Um, is authorized by law to use force. In fact, this is the law. He or she may only use the minimum force, which is reasonable in the circumstances. And in fact, they both speak to each other in respect of this. And if you see one, two, and three, it, it speaks to when force, minimum force will be allowed um, and in what circumstances. Next slide, please. I raise this case because when we were able to sample convicted offenders. This case of McKee was, was absolutely horrific. And if you read the judgment, he was actually called the monster serial rapist. And had we not identified him earlier, and the irony is that had we identified him previous to the DNA Act being promulgated, we would have saved a lot more lives um, than he violated because of the fact he was only identified at the time that he was. He was actually convicted of a common assault, not rape. And whilst he was serving his two-year sentence in prison, because during that window of time between 2015 and 2017, we were able to sample convicted offenders by virtue of the provision of the DNA Act still being operational, that DNA profile was loaded onto the database and it was linked to over 30 rapes that had been recorded. And that's only in respect of those people that had come forward. Who knows how many more he may have violated. Since that time, we've seen rapists being linked to 60 to 100 cases for one person, which speaks to the recidivism and reoffending rate in our country. We cannot allow convicted offenders to be released without having their DNA sample taken. And this case is a prime example of why we cannot let people like McKee be released. He would have been released after two years had it not been for our DNA database and our laws allowing us to sample the convicted offender. Next slide, please. Now, I understand the challenges more than probably most about the backlog, and I'm the greatest proponent of fighting for the backlog to be reduced. And I do think that over the last two years, the backlog has been highlighted, and I have seen that SAPS have, in fact, put many infrastructures and procedures in place to ensure that the backlog is started um, can be reduced. They have built on the infrastructures, they've provided funding to the Forensic Science Laboratory. I think they've reduced it by over 80,000 cases. So they are making progress in respect of the backlog. And I've, and I've heard Ms. Van Selchos talk about some of the challenges that are going to be raised today. And of course, that's something that still has to be raised and fought for within this committee. However, we can't have the opportunity of a long outstanding law being delayed even further because of a DNA backlog um, that, that is in a way parallel to this. They all need to happen simultaneously in order to work towards a fully functional forensic DNA database. Now, at the time when I was on the DNA board, the DCS used to come every month and they used to give us a list of convicted offenders who were being released in that month, and they were prioritized for being sampled. There's no reason why a similar approach cannot be taken if this bill is passed, in that if there is a capacity issue, at least those 
parolees that are going to be released need to ensure that their DNA sample is taken. It won't just be 160,000 or however many um, prisoners need to be sampled, all at once being sampled. There should be a policy that there's no release, no parole without a DNA sample being taken. That just should be standard. And, and I do believe it can be done. And that's an operational aspect of the law. The operational aspect can manage the law. The law doesn't have to say how many have to be. It just simply has to say convicted offenders, and it can be managed in this way. Another scientific aspect that is very, very important to understand is that a crime scene sample, such as from a rape case, is a difficult procedure, and the backlog resides mainly with casework, which is crime scene samples. Rape cases and samples taken from rape cases are that they require differential extraction. They require much more input. There's often 16 samples per case in respect of the crime scene samples. Whereas a reference sample taken from a convicted offender is a buckle sample. And it goes to a, diff, a completely different automated section of the forensic science laboratory. And reference samples are collected on what they call an easy collect sample, and it's called direct PCR, which means a small section of that swab is immediately subjected to only the last step in the process of forensic DNA analysis. The extraction and quantification steps that are needed for the differential extraction on a, on a casework, on a red case, um, a crime scene sample, are not required. So they, they largely automate their reference sampling. Furthermore, this can also be done by public-private partnerships because it's a simple reference case, a reference sample, and can be done. And I know they are looking into private partner, public partnerships. So the, the backlog that we refer to really is because of our casework and because of the difficulty in analyzing casework samples, as opposed to reference samples, where I know in, in Platypleur, for instance, they've got three of these lanes and in Pretoria, one of these lanes, and they can do up to thousands of these reference samples per day. We must also see this as a sunset provision once this law is passed, once your entire convicted offender population is on your database. What happens is that your arrestees, if it results in a conviction, will automatically migrate to your convicted offender um, uh, index. So by, de but de by delaying this, we're just putting the inevitable in the future, whereas we need to get to a point where we're not even sampling convicted offenders because that entire population will be on the, convict on the DNA database and arrestees who then are convicted will automatically migrate without having to have another sample taken. So it's very important to understand that we, we do have that facility. And again, the chance of reoffending for these for these um, convicted offenders is so high, which is just going to result in new cases, which will add to the backlog. And we need to understand that by not sampling by not sampling them is not meaning that you simply won't have a new case to sample. You most certainly will have more than just one reference sample to sample if you release convicted offenders without having their sample taken. Next slide, please. I think, I think there's an, will, will you click it again, um, Nicolette, because I think there should be more, I don't know why it's, Nicolette, yeah, thank you, that, that, should, that should be all of them. It is without question that we have one of the highest reoffending rates in South Africa, and we've already lost four years in the delay of this amendment bill. It's deriding the effectiveness 
of our national DNA database by excluding our convicted offenders. And, and the current research, and, and I have literally just researched the history of the bill and a comparative study of jurisdictions worldwide, show that this is one of the most powerful indices you can have on a national forensic DNA database. We've just passed a law, Section 36D, where all Schedule 8 arrestees have to be sampled. Yet we're arguing about convicted offenders not being sampled. From a constitutional perspective, how does it make sense that we can take, we must take a sample from a Schedule 8 arrestee, but not from a convicted offender? It seems like we've turned this on its head and we need to address this. We need to align our law back to where it should be, where it was promulgated in 2015 and address it as such. This provides us with the opportunity of doing that. There's a lost opportunity for every convicted offender who is being released to solve a cold case and identify a serial rapist. The chance of reoffending is greater. And I have seen the deterrent effect in recent studies that have been published now. And, and, and please, when you look at all of the um, uh, submissions today, please look at the date of publications. Anything under 2018, 2019, this technology and this research is, is, is moving at a rapid rate. And we need to be very current in terms of what we're looking for as to the effect of DNA on a DNA database and who should be on a DNA database. We need to counteract the refusals because we have to understand that often the refusals are based on the fact that we are already dealing with a serial offender and their refusal is based on the fact they don't want to be in prison for longer because like McKee, they could actually be there forever as a result of being linked to a more serious case. This is a crucial weapon in South Africa's arsenal of crime fighting tools, not only against gender-based violence, but crimes against humanity. The government is looking for solutions to gender-based violence. We can identify perpetrators through DNA without question. And this is something that needs to be done to identify our perpetrators. Please pass the convicted offender bill for the right reasons and do not delay it for the wrong reasons. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Lynch, for that very powerful presentation. Uh, the committee members have been working um, really hard to get this bill to come to Parliament. And you do realize that the committee is totally dependent on when the department brings the bill to uh, when the cabinet or the member of, of the executive brings the bill to Parliament. And then we're dependent on how speedily the NCOP processes it and when the president will sign it. So I, I would also like to, to pay my respect for Honorable Whitfield, um, but he is also putting tremendous pressure on me to bring the iPad bill. Honorable Whitfield, I'm working on that bill as well. Uh, Dr. Lynch, um, I'll also be working, I'll contact the DNA board personally uh, to ensure that they are here on Friday. I hope that uh, you and the other presenters uh, will be uh, logged in on Friday as well. I know it is a long weekend, uh, but you can see that the determination that we have as a committee is to get this bill through. We would not be arranging two sessions in one week if we were not determined to complete this bill. 
it is very difficult to arrange two meetings in one week. Um, I have to follow a lengthy process of getting the approval of the chief whip and uh, the, the house chair. And they are extremely reluctant to give us two time slots uh, since all these meetings have to happen virtually. And uh, then parliament has limited capacity to give us two sl time slots in one week. So I hope all of the members understand this and that the public understands we are not rushing through this. Um, it is something we want to do uh, and we want to do it effectively uh, with precision, with detail. And I really ask that all the members study the work, uh, the presentations, and that when we do make recommendations, we know what we're talking about. Again, once more, uh, Dr. Lynch and Mr. Fox, we will uh, uh, consider your presentations and ensure that um, we have dealt with the bill uh, very substantially. Uh, thank you very much. Please don't leave the meeting. Uh, and uh, we'll be commenting and asking you questions and also allow you to respond to those questions. I'm now going to ask that we have an opportunity uh, for Ms. Bodenstein. Uh, are you ready for us? Sure, I'm ready. Um, I just have to find out from Babalwa if she'll be sharing the uh, PowerPoint. I did email it to her or if I should share my screen. Either is fine with me. Babalwa? Morning, Chair. She can share it from her side, Chair. Thank you. Sure. Um, there we go. I uh, just want confirmation that everyone can see. Ma'am. All right. So thank you for giving um, us the opportunity to, um, to make submissions. Um, I'm not sure if the committee members had an opportunity to read um, our written submissions. Um, I think they're only comprised of two pages. So I really, um, I really don't, uh, I, I will not take up all of my time. Um, so I do just want to say that, um, we are making the submissions as an organization who has been supporting rape survivors since 1976. Uh, currently, we work in five regional courts to provide court support to survivors. We work in three um, forensic units in the Western Cape to provide support. Uh, we have um, a 24-hour national helpline, and we offer counseling at our three offices. So um, the submissions that we make really is about the experience of rape survivors and their sense of access to justice. Um, I think both of the previous presenters um, also made mention of the, uh, of the issue of GBV. Um, this has been a problem in our country for decades, and we are really are happy um, that that finally it is getting the, the attention that it deserves. So when we evaluate this bill, the question that we ask really 
is will the proposed amendments contribute to the purpose of the bill um, and its overarching goal of increasing prosecutions, right? And I think that everyone who is a member of this committee, everyone from the public, and definitely my two colleagues who previously made um, submissions uh, have this, we all have this goal in mind. Um, but we do have concerns with the bill that we've also raised in our, um, in our written submissions. And the one is about the capacity of the forensic science laboratory to analyze samples. Um, and although uh, Vanessa made really excellent points of why that shouldn't be um, that shouldn't that shouldn't cause delay in the implementation of the bill. That is still a real concern, and not only a real concern to this organization, but a real concern to the whole GBV sector, uh, where we have to look our clients in the eye when they tell us there has still been no prosecution, there's still been no arrest. Um, of the person who has raped them. So it really, um, it really is not something that this committee can ignore. It's not something that this country can ignore. It's definitely not something that organizations like Rep Prices will ignore. Um, because it does have a severe impact um, on the access to justice for survivors. So we, I don't have to educate this committee about the already high levels of attrition um, in rape cases. And uh, there, I mean, there are, there are real reasons why rape cases are more difficult to, um, to investigate and why they are more difficult to prosecute. And the, the most recent and most comprehensive research about this has been a 2017 report um, published by the South African Medical Research Council in, um, uh, in conjunction with other partners. But it found that only 8.6%, um, sorry, not 8.6 cases, that would have been strange. 8.6% of cases that were opened by the police ended up um, with a perpetrator being found guilty of a sexual offense. Uh, and that is a really low percentage. If we think of the fact that there are people behind the statistics. Uh, the, um, this research also mentions that in cases where there was an identification of a positive sample by the forensic science lab, that case had a 77% greater likelihood of having a guilty plea. And I'm realizing as, uh, as I'm doing this presentation, that a lot of the reasons for implementing or for wanting to implement this bill is to add to um, a database so that uh, it's easier for um, not uh, ignore the fact that at the moment, the capacity to do that does not exist. Um, and for that reason, uh, we we recommended that the uh, members. Do I have problems, or do you have problems as well? We've lost Miss Bodenstein, Chip. Okay. Uh, could we assist her? 
Nicoleto Babawa. Good caller, we've lost her. Yeah, I think she's back on. All right, you may, you may continue, ma'am. We lost you for a second. Can you let me know where you lost hey, me? Uh, when you made your recommendations. Okay, sure. Could you start with your recommendations again, please? Sure. Um, so in our written submissions, we, oh, we did um, recommend that the bill be held in advance until the committee has been provided by SAPS with evidence that um, they can and are willing to process DNA samples in current cases um, and that the number of outstanding DNA samples does not uh, exceed the average number usually taken in one month. Because it's quite easy to, um, to hear, oh, the, it, it, the DNA backlog has been reduced by 80,000 cases or 5,000 cases or 15%. However, it has to be compared to what, uh, what number of samples are collected um, on average per month. However, um, we do understand that this bill can contribute in the long run um, to providing a system where it's easier to detect the identity of perpetrators. However, we cannot imagine and we cannot justify denying rape survivors access to justice, the opportunity to, um, for their cases to be prosecuted. Uh, we cannot deny them that in the short run. And at the moment, if this bill is implemented in the current state, that is what will happen. Um, the Forensic Science Laboratory at this moment does not have the capacity even to additionally examine the most simple of samples. And so if this bill um, is being implemented and it is going forward, it has to be that this portfolio committee undertakes to ensure that the Forensic Science Laboratory and the police have increased capacity to such an extent um, that it can prosecute cases and it can manage the backlog so that the outstanding DNA samples doesn't exceed the average number taken during a month. Um, so, so those two have to go hand in hand. It cannot be first implementing the bill and then seeing if the DNA issue can be resolved. If the bill is being implemented, it has to be in conjunction um, with an emergency plan, but also evidence that it is being sorted out. Um, and otherwise, it will be a severe injustice to rape survivors who have waited for years um, to see their to see their perpetrator um, either behind bars or um, or in court. So we do want to echo what uh, what my previous colleagues um, 
mentioned about exploring alternative um, added capacity to analyze DNA samples. Uh, for instance, laboratories um, like the ones located at the University of Cape Town. And that would have to... Ma'am, we've lost you again. I think there might be there might be an issue on your side because honorable members, am I the only one experiencing no. problems? We did just lose uh, Ms. Bodenstein for a brief moment there, Chair. Yes. I think yeah, I think I'm back and I'm almost done. Um, okay. So if we do not. Ma'am, I'm going to ask you to send us a message in the chat group because I keep on losing you. And certainly the problem is not on my side. Could you send us the your further input on the chat group, please? I'm not sure what's happening because my connection shows that it's stable, so it might be... It might be the hostess, the host's connection that um, that has an issue, but I'll send the message on the chat. Well, thank you very much, uh, honourable members. Uh, that takes care of our presentations. I'll now take uh, hands for um, your inputs, your questions. Uh, I'll give you three questions. Uh, you could raise it one on each presentation. And then I'll take the first round of questions. You're allowed to do three questions. You could ask a question to each presenter, or you could make a comment, or you could add. I've noted Honorable Whitfield and then Honorable Marupa and then Honorable Shebeni in that order. Honorable Whitfield. Thank you, Chair. There's a device called Sutu, which is unmuted. I don't know if you can assist. Uh, Sutu, could you mute your mic, please? Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson, and thank you for the opportunity. I'd, I'd like to thank all the contributors. I think that their inputs have certainly enriched the committee's uh, understanding of the broader issues and impact of the bill. And, uh, Chairperson, you're absolutely correct that this committee has prioritized this bill for good reason. Uh, it has been unnecessarily delayed for far too long. And I think that um, the overwhelming support in the public submissions is certainly encouraging, uh, as well as some of the suggestions that we've received from those uh, who don't necessarily support the passage of the bill through Parliament at this point. I, I would just like to say, Chair, if I may, that the committee has been extremely deliberate in the absence of really any meaningful assistance of the new DNA board. The committee has been extremely insistent and deliberate uh, in demanding monthly reports from the South African Police Service on their turnaround plan, which was initiated on the instruction of the committee. So the committee has played a very active role in ensuring that the turnaround plan, which has been adopted by the South African Police Service, is being implemented, that uh, the, the improvements that we are seeing are, are, are a direct result of the committee's actions just to um, respond to Ms. Bodenstein's concerns that the committee must ensure 
that uh, we, we are able to see evidence of improvement. And in these monthly reports, we are seeing improvements in contract management. We are seeing improvement in the filling of vacancies. And we are seeing an improvement in reducing the backlog. Obviously, we have concerns about the backlog, but I, I believe that we, we need to consider this bill uh, concurrently with our existing plans to reduce the backlog and to continue supporting our forensic division. So we received the monthly reports. The committee has also promoted public-private partnerships with universities and external labs, which are currently uh, in place. The president has a task team dealing with this matter. It's receiving attention at the highest levels of government, um, as well as the committee, as I've said. Um, I do think that there's an opportunity, Chair, to advocate for a more transparent database on the backlog uh, as an additional account accountability tool, which could certainly assist to put pressure on, on the forensics division and in, in, you know, encourage more public engagement and participation in that issue. Uh, <clears throat> and then I think, Chair, this committee uh, should consider committing uh, what may seem quite obvious, but simply committing or recommitting ourselves to a budget focus on this division of the forensics division, that, that when we consider the budget, we really appeal uh, uh, to the, the committee and to, to, to the executive to really uh, scrutinize the forensics division uh, budget allocation to make sure that there's sufficient funding. I just want to also uh, say, Chairperson, that the target for analyzing DNA case exhibits is uh, set out in the SAP's annual performance plan. And so I don't think it is realistic to expect, you know, the monthly amount that comes in to be the monthly amount that is concluded. Uh, it's 80% within 90 days is the target because of our horrific, uh, you know, high rate of violent crime. Uh, it's simply not possible, even when the labs are fully capacitated, I think, to keep the backlog current to within a month. Uh, and so the fact that there is a backlog over um, 90 days is extremely concerning, and we are committed to getting it back within that 90 days, and we're definitely moving in the right direction. I do empathize with Ms. Bodenstein in particular. I've had the um, awful experience of having to deal with victims, and, uh, victims families, and survivors uh, of the most horrific crimes and the delays in the system. Um, but I'm also acutely aware that in June last year, we received a response from the Minister of Correctional Services to say that nearly 97,000, almost 100,000 convicted uh, Schedule 8 offenders were released without having their DNA sampled. And it simply cannot be countenance that that, that continues. It's, it's, a, it's a gross miscarriage of justice. Uh, and I don't believe that um, the spill chair will necessarily have the devastating impact on uh, the backlog, given the history of prioritizing the those uh, convicted offenders who are to be paroled, uh, a similar system, as has been indicated by Ms. Lynch, could be used um, to mitigate uh, an overwhelming flood of, uh, of uh, reference samples. So, Chair, I, I don't have any specific questions. I, I do think that um, the last point I want to raise with respect to Mr. Parks' submission uh, and thank you for his considered input and support for the bill. But the the issue of um, uh, all uh, offences being considered, uh, I would I would simply appeal that this is something that the committee considers into the future. That we we don't um, unnecessarily delay the passage of the bill um, by you know creating <clears throat> any unnecessary 
delays ourselves, but rather focus on the original intention of the Act, uh, this amendment bill, and then as we are seeing the improvements in the Forensics Division and their capability, that we can consider uh, adding ad other offences, um, you know, to, to the legislation, Chair. Uh, but those are my, my only comments at this stage, and uh, I'm genuinely grateful for the inputs of all the contributors. Thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable uh, Whitfield. Uh, the next one is Honorable Marikwa. I think you are just adding and acknowledging the inputs that have been made, and certainly the inputs will enrich the processing of the bill. Uh, Honorable Marikwa, Marikwa. No, thank you, Chairperson, and good morning, everybody. Mine also will be in the main just comments, uh, Chairperson. Uh, having listened to and seen the presentations, I think all of them, there is a, I didn't hear, I don't see or hear anyone of the presenters say we don't want the bill. There is agreement in a way and in principle that they do uh, appreciate and welcome the, the bill, uh, but there are issues that needs attention and needs to be looked into as we go forward uh, with this work, uh, making sure that the bill contains everything that has been uh, uh, that has been or that will assist the law enforcement officers out there. In the bill. Uh, most of the presenters are talking to the capacity of the police. I, I think three, Ms. Lynch, Kosatu, uh, and Ms. Bordenstein. Capacity of the police in doing and or dealing with these uh, issues. I think when you talk to, particularly in the forensic laboratory, science laboratory, it will not be just about the budget for the police. It will be about human capital, you know, human resource where they will have to have more employed people dealing with these issues because you can have all the budget, but if you don't have people working different shifts or different hours to deal with the backlog, it will not assist because it will not assist also the country when we have a, a lab that closes at four o'clock or at five o'clock. So because crime happens all around the clock, we they need to also focus on the issue of human capital or human resource in their offices so that we have a running and really a, a effective a, science laboratory that will deal with all the samples that come in and out of that office. The other thing, uh, what I've also heard from the presenters, uh, Chairperson, the issue of repeat offenders. I think most of the presentations talk to that, that because of the backlog and uh, not work done on the samples, there is the possibility of a, a, a offenders reoffending. And I'm sure if we go to correctional services now, we'll find a lot of people who are back in the in this facility because they have done a, a crime over and over again. The other thing that we need also maybe to check on the issue of rights. Somebody mentioned the the role of the constitutional court in assisting in when. Um, making sure in assisting with the bill. I think the constitutional court will assist greatly in dealing with these issues because you arrest somebody who has stolen, for example, a chocolate in the shop today. Next week they are out, they go back, 
and they will give you petty reasons to say, no, there we, I'm treated better. The life is good there than being at home. So I think it's not just with the rape cases or sexual aid uh, offenses, but even petty, petty crimes, there is a lot of of re-offending. But with these serious crimes that are committed, uh, that have been listed on the bill, I think it will assist greatly making sure that the backlog is dealt with the police, with the capacity that they will have, the budget and everything, will be able to deal with the backlog and make sure that we don't have a repeat offenders coming in and out of the correctional facility. And also the bill needs also the attention of what we call the criminal justice cluster. It's not just the work of the police, but the police working jointly from continuously working together with the correctional services, including the justice department, making sure that they that it's, a, it's a chain. What the police brings in, the, the correct the court is able to can check and also the correctional services are able to can check whether there has been repeat or re-offending of these same people that they bring before the the court from time to time. So I think it's not just the police that needs to be focused on here, but also the entire criminal justice cluster. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much for that input, Honorable Marikwa. Honorable Siabi. Is it not Shembeni, Oh, sorry, Shembeni. First, you, your hand disappeared, so I thought you disappeared. No. Shembeni, and then, uh, you know, Shembeni, I will never, never forget you. Uh, Honorable Shembeni, uh, just as I see you, uh, the, we'll discuss it after the guests have left, but um, they don't want to give me money for free state, so you better, better help me now. I need some muscle from you, Honorable Shembeni. Okay, you may continue, Honorable Shembeni. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for the presentations. I think uh, in all the presentations, as uh, Honorable Mulakwa said, uh, seemingly they all agree with the so-called now the bill, the passing of the bill. Yes, but uh, I've seen there is a great concern about the present backlog in the FSL. But now I thought that we have dealt with with the new DNA board, as mentioned by also uh, uh, Honorable Member Whitfield, that now we've seen some uh, improvement, uh, the feeling of posts, uh, the so-called now coordination with the universities, about the enlistment of these uh, graduates and so on. There is an improvement in our forensic uh, laboratory. Now, the most important thing that the bill should be passed is for the benefit of our victims because crime is being committed every day, every now and then. And by pushing at the forensics uh, laboratory uh, to work harder and getting some more budget so that these people can work there day and night. They must have shifts. I think that can benefit us. That is how we can talk about the capacitating of the SAPS because of getting 
enough budget to concentrate on the FSL because that is where I think we are losing the battle because every day crime is being committed and the FSL should work day and night to make sure that we get the necessary results on the forensic laboratory. I think that that's very, very much important. Now, I think these uh, things must go in conjunction. Uh, the issue of the capacitating and everything, but at the same time, we must make sure that the bill is being passed so that now uh, the incoming uh, so-called cases and, and the like, the, 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 the so-called uh, uh, forensic laboratory science can be able to classify the cases because now there will be these buckle samples that have been taken from ordinary people that did not commit any crime. And then there will be those who have committed crimes. So they will classify them because now there might be a person who is busy committing crime and has never been arrested. And that person can be arrested for a petty crime like drunken driving and so on of which with the uh, uh, results on from the FSL, now that person can be convicted of these other crimes that he has committed and we did not find out about that. I think that it's uh, my submission, uh, uh, Honorable Chairperson, thank you. I don't have any question. Uh, thank you very much, Honorable Shimbeni. Uh, Honorable Siabi. Thank you, Chair, and uh, greetings to honorable members and uh, our presenters and everybody on the platform. Let me also start by saying we welcome the presentations as they clarify certain things that we were not aware of. And Chair, let me insist, like you said, that on Friday, the DNA board needs to come to the committee so that they are able to clarify further in terms of capacity building. Yes, I agree with Honorable Whitfield that there is progress as we receive the monthly progress reports. I also know that the minister, uh, this thing of the backlog, it's uh, very close to his heart. He's working very hard to make sure that the backlog is, uh, is addressed. But we will need the DNA board to come and clarify further as to what is it that they are doing in terms of uh, uh, building capacity, filling in posts. We want to hear to hear from them. So if they were to, to come on Friday's meeting and clarify further, that would be highly appreciated. And like uh, Honorable Maragua said, I didn't hear any radical opposition to the bill being passed. Um, of course, the issue 
raised by capacity of the subs. I agree with Honorable Whitfield that let it be work in progress, but let that not delay the passing of the the passing of the bill. But what I want to hear, Chair, is a from the three of them, what is their take on the use of minimum force for refusals? I didn't hear them commenting on that one. I just want to hear their comment on the use of minimum force for refusal. Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you very much, honorable members and the presenters. Uh, my uh, uh, sincere appreciation, sincerest appreciation for your being here, your time and your efforts. Honorable members, we hardly have any questions. So I'm going to allow uh, the presenters to do one round of responses. Um, I will ensure that on Friday, the DNA board and the forensic science laboratories do their presentations. I every and we have all received the the monthly reports, but I'm still unhappy with what is happening. So, honourable members, if we only take the DNA board and the forensic science laboratories on Friday, I hope uh, you'll uh, allow me to do that. I know it's a long weekend. We'll do it in the morning, and we'll just focus on the DNA board and the Forensic Science Laboratories. Do you agree with that? Members? Agree, Chair. Honorable Whitfield, you agree? Yes, Chair. Uh, thank you very much, Honorable Members. I'll now give the presenters a short opportunity uh, to, to do uh, the, um, the concluding remarks. Uh, you can just raise your hands and I'll take it in that order. Uh, Mr. Fox. Okay. Um, no, thanks very much, Chen. Yeah, thanks to, to all members. I mean, I think it's positive that I think all of us, um, be it government, be it parliament, be it civil society, labor, uh, the police, I think we're all on the same page. I think I basically have three questions, honorable chair. Uh, maybe just to honorable Siabi about the right of uh, the use of minimum force for, for prisoners or the accused uh, who refuse to, to allow samples to be taken. No, I think we will support the use of minimum force. Um, when you're imprisoned, when you're arrested, you are detained. So there's a limitation on your rights. And that implies minimum force can be used by the police or correctional service officers to enforce the law. So we will support that. Um, and sure, you can argue that, well, there's a limitation on your rights, that's true. Uh, but we need to protect the rights of society, of the victims, of uh, future victims, etc. So yes, we would support the police and correctional services officers being fully empowered. And I think um, there's nothing unreasonable about that. There is legal precedence to it. The fact that you are in prison means that minimum force can be utilized by the state to, to detain you or to imprison you. I think to Honorable Marekwa, um, who I think highlighted many of the challenges facing, SEPs, etc., um, if I'm right, there are previous constitutional court judgments which uphold the right of the police to conduct, to uh, collect such forensic information. So I think we are in very safe territory. Um, so I think there's, 
the constitutional court would support this uh, straightforward provisions. I think, Chair, just to Honourable Whitfield, um, so we support the bill and we support its passage as soon as possible. But I think we would want to see us, let's do a, a holistic, a comprehensive job now. We can say, sure, let's de- delay amendments to a future date. Well, a future date will be in five years' time, maybe even 10 years' time. Look how long it's taken just to get this very simple bill to Parliament. Um, and in my, in my experience, and I'm sure the same experience of honorable members, it takes at least five years for a bill to move from an official's desk in Pretoria to, to, to cabinet, to public comments, to NEDLEC if it's relevant, but it wouldn't be in this case, to both houses of parliament, to the president signing it, to be implemented. So if you don't do something now, it means we're talking about five years plus. If we don't just do something in this bill, it won't happen within this sixth administration of this government uh, because parliament by December will be telling the cabinet, don't bring any more bills because we're now heading towards elections. So if we want to do something, we do it now. Otherwise, it's beyond our time. And some of us may be retired, some of us may be wherever in life, you know. Chair, um, we've had other instances where departments would tell us, no, let's not do something in this bill now to delay it. It will only delay it maybe by a month to do the legal crafting of two or three sentences at most. And one is being generous. We've seen other departments will say, no, we'll bring another bill. They will never do it. You have to chase them for five, ten years. And um, so I think, Chair, we've tried to, and we, we appreciate you don't want to create additional headaches or gray hairs for members, for legal drafters, for the department. That's what I've said. Let's just take two simple tweaks. It's really a deletion of the reference to Schedule 8 uh, for persons when they are charged, uh, when they're convicted or imprisoned. So you apply it across the board. And again, when we take fingerprints, we take fingerprints of any, anybody who's been arrested or imprisoned. You don't distinguish the level of crime. But Chair, the, the unintended consequence of us not doing it is that we will exclude very serious criminal offences like bestiality, incest, having sex with a minor, grooming, child pornography, pornography um, attempted murder, corruption and gangs. Chair, we know the problem of gangs in Cape Town. Um, we know the problem of rape and getting convictions. So I think, Chair, why would we want to tie the police's hands behind the back? Let's fully empower police officers to do what they need to do. And I think here, just simply to remove any reference to Schedule 8, let's allow them to enforce the law for anybody. And again, I think to the honorable, I think the other, other president made a very good point. We want to flood the database with as much intelligence as possible so the police can, can be well-resourced, et cetera. Um, otherwise, I think we'll be minimizing the very positive impact this bill, a very progressive bill, can have in essence. Um, Jen, I think we would, I think it's welcome that Honorable Whitfield is saying, proposing that the committee prioritize the forensic interventions and the building capacity of SAPs. I think we'll support that because really, again, it's about empowering the police and seeing how can we finally turn the tide against corruption. Um, but I think, Chair, maybe lastly, is that if you don't put stuff in, in bills and laws, government won't do it because they're not compelled to do it. Um, you want government, you want Treasury to, to budget something, you must put it in law so they say the police must do X, Y, and Z. Otherwise, they'll simply say, well, we have so many things we must deal with. Let's talk about this in another lifetime. Um, so, yeah, let me stop there, Honorable Chair, and uh, thank members and just plead, let's really look at this progressively. Let's see if we can remove the schedule eight and include all criminal offenses, and let's really empower the police to do what we want them to do. But, yeah, thanks very much, Honorable Chair and Honorable Members. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Ms. Lynch or Dr. Lynch. Thank you very much. Um, 
for the opportunity. Um, there are a couple of things. Just in regards to the previous presenter, Schedule 8, interestingly, the very first draft of the DNA Act, it was all offences. And it was Schedule 1 offences, which covered every single offence. Then what happened is that because they were concerned about the capacity issue at that time, they, they took what they felt were the most serious offences. And I think they actually do cover most of the serious offences right down to robbery. So I do think we need to just clarify what actually is a Schedule 8 offence. A Schedule 8 offence is not a lesser offence. It just had to be called Schedule 8 because it was the eighth schedule of the Criminal Procedure Act. Um, it's not because it's, it's you know, it sort of goes down as to the numbers. But I do think that... Um, it's created an administrative burden. And interestingly enough, even on the DNA board, the, the Department of Correctional Services were asking, can we not just say all convicted offenders because it's an administrative burden to try and differentiate between the different types of schedules? So I, I do think that from an administrative perspective, um, you know, most people who are arrested and charged have, have dealt a, a pretty serious crime. Um, and, and often it's related to sometimes the minor crimes can be related to much more serious crimes. So if this is not the platform, hopefully it doesn't delay the bill, but if it's an easy fix, I do think that it should be done or perhaps later when the DNA board put their recommendations for improvements to the DNA Act, I certainly agree that just saying everyone arrested and charged and all convicted offenders should have their DNA sample taken. It just, I think SAPS will welcome the opportunity for that because they, they do struggle with the differentiation. Um, and secondly, with regards to the refusals, um, I'm very happy to send to the parliamentary researcher provisions in, in the majority of legislation throughout the world have a clause about minimum force. Um, in fact, they, they, they actually say what they do. They pluck out hairs and, and all sorts of things. Ours is actually fairly mild. Um, albeit there is the SAPS Act, which in any event provides an option for SAPS to use reasonable force in the circumstances. Um, even if we didn't include it in the bill, I just think by clarifying it in the bill makes it very clear to the convicted offenders that this is not an option, that they do have to submit it. Um, but the all legislation and even of the most conservative countries, um, which have similar bills, bills of rights and constitutions such as Canada, minimum force is in fact allowed. But I'm very happy if, if anybody wants to ask me to, to send literature to, to support that. Um, and then just just finally, it's, it's I mean, I, I, do, I do hear around the backlog crisis, and I do think that the DNA um, board, as well as the um, portfolio committee, really needs to explore um, and push SAPS to enter into MOUs. For instance, I know that the Forensic Pathology Services Laboratory in, in Observatory, which is under health, they um, have potential funding from, from USAID where they actually are saying if there's an MOU between SAPS and Forensic Pathology Services to help them, assist them with GBV cases and assist them with reference sampling, they will help them provide funding to support that laboratory, which is linked to UCT. So SAPS really need to um, be willing to enter MOUs that allow um, the opportunity for these kind of partnerships to assist them with capacity. Again, this is done throughout the world. Um, and, and perhaps this is something that the DNA board, I mean, the, the portfolio committee can encourage the SAPs to be willing to enter these MOUs with, you know, forensic pathology services or UCT, for instance, to assist with capacity, because I think it's all hands on deck now. Um, but, but thank you. And it's, and it's really good to see that this bill is progressing because I, I know that this, this committee has, has really been waiting for it to come before them. So thank you very much.
thank you, Dr. Lynch. We haven't just been waiting for it to come. Uh, we've been working hard to get it to be, to be before the committee. And I, I can guarantee you and assure you that it's not very easy to get people to bring. And I agree with Mr. Pox. It's not very easy to get a bill to come to Parliament. Uh, but we, uh, I, I, can, I can assure you that a lot of hard work went into getting this bill to, to Parliament. And likewise, we're working with, on the IPED bill and the SAPS amendment bill. It's tough. It is really tough getting a bill to come to Parliament. Uh, Ms. Bodenstein, we agree with you that uh, the committee needs to receive evidence from SAPS that the forensic science laboratories have uh, sufficient uh, capacity to address the backlog, and we'll call them on Friday to give evidence on their capacity and their ability to address the backlogs. You now have the opportunity to respond, Ms. Bodenstein. Uh, thank you. I won't take up much of your time. Um, and I, I've heard uh, the sincere um, uh, efforts from this committee to uh, to try and um, uh, ensure that SAPS addresses uh, the backlog in its um, laboratories. And I, I just want to assure this committee that as it is practicing oversight over SAPS, um, members have to be assured that civil society um, will continue to practice oversight over this committee. And um, I think it would, uh, it would be a real um, uh, show of, um, of uh, um, allegiance to the plights of victims of crime. Uh, if this committee can assure that the issue of the backlog is dealt with um, swiftly and effectively. And um, I can assure you that civil society will be watching. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, honorable members. Uh, that brings to an end this, this round of inputs, presentations and comments. Once more, I would like to thank all the members for the opportunity and your participation and the, um, the very, very insightful in, in, uh, inputs you have made. Honorable members, uh, that takes care of the business of the public contributions. Uh, we may allow the public to leave the meeting and uh, the members in the committee staff to remain. Uh, so those members of the public who have participated, you may leave. There's nothing secretive about what we're going to do. It is on streamed on YouTube, but it's just administrative matters. So if you wish, wish to leave, we are going to discuss our minutes and uh, we're going to discuss house, housekeeping. Uh, if you wish to stay, you're welcome to stay. Uh, can I now have the allow you to leave and allow the... Uh, committee secretary to present the minutes of the oversight visit, please. Babawa, I'd like to have the minutes of the oversight visit. Members, you have read the, um, the minutes. Do you have any comments? 
Do you have any corrections? Do you have any concerns? Uh, please don't forget that we made certain recommendations. Those recommendations have been sent to the ministry. Uh, honorable members, I do not just uh, act as a post box or a post office. I actually do follow up and you do get your reports. It has also been a very, very tight control and oversight over whether they send those reports. I found at times that those reports were just repetitive and a cut and paste job. We took this up quite, quite seriously with the ministry and with SAPS. So when they do send cut and paste jobs, I sent it back to them. Uh, it, it does take a lot of work to, um, to manage the responses that we receive. I hope you find that in order. Do I have a proposal for the adoption of the minutes? Uh, adoption of the minutes. Can I, I come in, Chen? Honorable Marekwa uh, proposes, Honorable Siabe seconds the minutes. Thank you very much, Honorable Members. With the, uh, with the correction, Chair. Yes, Honorable Marekwa. Yeah, I think under the, um, the visit that was conducted, there's a right what it's just that the slide if they can just scroll up where it says that the visit to I think was Norwood police station. It says flaunting instead of flouting. Um, I don't have that page with me now. Yeah, if they can check it and just correct it on the minutes chair, not flaunting but flouting. Oh, sorry, very uh, that's a typo. Could we correct that, Nicolette? Yeah. Thank you very much, Honorable Marekwa, with that correction. Uh, Thanks, we'll Chair. then approve the minutes. Uh, then, Honorable Members, just very quickly, uh, I've tried my best to have the oversight visit to Bloemfontein and Free State. Unfortunately, uh, you'll be been told, thanks, I have the next set of minutes, but let me just give you your, your report while I'm doing the next set of minutes. I've been told by Parliament that there is no money. Will I have to wait until the next financial year? I've also been told that we cannot have our strategic planning session physically. So we'll have to do our strategic planning session online. However, I propose that the strategic planning sessions should continue even if it's online. And I also propose that we do submit our budget for our next oversight visit. And then if the money does become available, we have our next oversight to visit to the free state. Uh, honorable members, I put that to the house. Any complaints? That's the best I could do for you. Honorable members? On the housekeeping, do you agree? Uh, Honorable Siabi? Thank you, Chair. I think uh, if there's nothing we can do, we'll have to live with it. Although one would have preferred that at least strategic session should be physical because we're able to interact in that manner. but. 
if uh, we are not sure when we'll have the, the funds and it will be delayed and compromise the program of parliament, we can continue with it online. Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you, Honorable Whip. Honorable Whip, um, I am uh, uh, apologizing, but there's very little I can do if Parliament says there's no funds. I'm asking that we continue now online and then we present our budget so that immediately in uh, we, uh, uh, as soon as we have some funding, we can then do a physical strategic planning uh, again. So I'm proposing that for now, we do an online uh, virtual platform. And then as soon as the money becomes available, we do a physical strategic plan. Would you be happy with that? No, it's fine, Chair. Thank you very much. Honorable members, we'll now do the last set of minutes. Embisa. Recommendations, corrections, additions. You have seen the minutes. Jefferson? Um, yes, Nicolette. Just to interject, um, this is actually the, the oversight report of the visit and, and yes. not a bit of minutes. No, 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 no. Sorry, oversight report, minutes. Sorry. Thanks, Nicolette. Oversight report, Tembisa. Um, honorable uh, members, please note, uh, could we correct that in uh, today's meetings, no uh, minutes, that we do not have minutes of the oversight visit, but an oversight report. Could that be corrected? Uh, are you happy with the report? Sorry, it's not the minutes. Are you happy with the report? Good morning. Um, I've noted Honorable Whitfield and then Honorable Peacock. Honorable Whitfield. Thank you, Chair. I, obviously, I wasn't at um, the oversight, but could, could it perhaps be indicated that there was an apology? Um, I see there was a list of members who attended, but not a list of those who apologized. If it's necessary, uh, it would be great if it could be recorded. Thank you. You are correct, Honorable Whitfield, and we did receive an apology from you and a number of other members. Could the apologies be formally noted, please? Any other additions or corrections? If not, do I have a proposal for the adoption? Chairperson Peacock, good morning, Chair. Good I'm morning, Honorable. The adoption of the 
proposing for the adoption of the report with those uh, corrections made by Honorable Whitfield. Thank you, Honorable Peacock. Do we have a seconder? I'm waiting for a second. Yeah. Honorable Siabe seconds. Uh, any other business you'd like to raise? Chair, just um, having not been part of the oversight, I just think that uh, Honorable Tablanche is uh, absent from today's meeting, um, but uh, we would obviously reserve our rights on that report, uh, if I may speak on his behalf. Thank you. That's exactly what I want to find out now. Any other political party to reserve its rights on both on both reports? Um, uh, Babawa and Nicolette, could we kindly call Dr. Grunewald uh, and the IFP Majorzi? Uh, Honorable Shembeni, do you reserve your rights? Uh, before that, uh, Chair. I did not hear about because I've got some problems, I've got challenges here. On the site visit, I've seen somewhere there where it's written SARS-13. I don't know whether that has been rectified. It's SAPS-13, not SARS. Uh, thank you, Honorable uh, Shembeni. We'll correct it. Okay, thank you. You reserve your right? Yes, uh, uh, as uh, Chapa said. As the EFF. Thank you. We'll also then uh, contact all the other political parties so yes. that um, they can indicate to us. Honorable members, any other business you wish to bring to the attention of the committee? If not, honorable members, the, the meeting is closed and we'll meet on Friday with the Forensic Science Laboratories and the DNA Board. If you find that in order, we'll then be meeting on Friday morning. I thank you. The meeting is closed. Thank you, members. Bye. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Bye-bye. Thank you, people. Thank you, Chair. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.